Hey, video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card. You know, Push, I was uh, doing research for this episode, and it focused a lot on the 90s, and I was getting a little nostalgic. Oh, yeah. You know, that was that's my childhood. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah same here. You know, the 90s was an amazing time. Yeah. You know what I really miss, and yet I don't miss it at all? No, tell me. Uh, that weird noise the computer would make when you connected to the internet or like AOL or whatever. Oh, yeah. It's like. Can you imagine trying to do a podcast with someone like on the other side of the world in the 90s? My mom would probably like kick me off the internet because she would have to use the phone. <laughs> yeah. Thank God things have improved. Yeah, I, I think that we're living. Our... Uh, push. I think you're. I think you're cutting out a bit. Communication in, in, in. Hold on, let me. I'm just gonna check this connection here. So today we're going to be talking about the internet. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Online, online play and such. So, uh, push. What's your favorite game to play online, or what was your favorite game to play online? If you don't currently play anything. Lately, I'm playing Animal Crossing a little bit online, but I'd rather not get into that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not the best. So, um, perhaps one of my favorite games to play online as a kid was actually uh, America's Army. Really? I don't even think I know about that game. Yeah, it's a it's a game that was actually commissioned by the US Army as propaganda to like encourage the youth to join the the army. Did it work? No, I mean <laughs> I, I didn't join the army, so <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were on our army base right now. But it was it was a pretty cool like free to play shooter and I, I used to run a um my own clan. <laughs> was this on the pc or was yeah, this on a yeah. console this was on the pc this was before steam even existed man this was back in the day yeah uh, i'm an oldie <laughs> yeah i don't think i really got into the online scene at least competitive like playing against other people for a while yeah i remember when i was in like late high school maybe like early college there was a game it was like socom 3 mm -hmm. or something like that and my friend told me i, I never played it but he was like, yeah, he's like, you have to play it online. Like, this is the only way it works. And I just thought, like, that's the stupidest thing. <laughs> why, why would you ever do that? <laughs> yeah, who would ever play a game where you had to be online? Fast forward to, you know, 2016, and uh, I, I got very involved in Overwatch, which was kind of strange because I'm not usually into, like, first-person shooters. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I still jump on and play Overwatch with uh, that same friend, actually, quite a bit. Oh. So the, the times they are a-changing... And then the other one that I played online a lot would probably be Rocket League, just because it's it's a fun, e easy to pick up and play. I actually have Rocket League, but I've never really played it online. It's 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 fun though. Definitely, it's one of my favorites. And I feel like just online gaming in general has gotten so much better in the last decade. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I don't think people, especially when it comes to consoles, realize how far back online content and online play goes. Mm -hmm. And that's where the focus of my episode today is. Back in the 16-bit era, 
when Nintendo and Sega were duking it out with the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, there was, surprisingly, some online options that I feel like most people just don't know about. Oh. Now, you had a Genesis, right, Push? Yeah, I I had a a Sega Genesis. That's my first home console. Ah, I had to live through my my friends when it came to that one. I was the Super Nintendo kid, and then, you know, I'd go find a friend who had a Sega Genesis and play on their Mm -hmm. uh, system. So what was your favorite Genesis game back in the day? Um, I feel like I've asked you this before, actually. So some of my favorite Sega Genesis games were uh, Comic Zone. Mm -hmm. That was really good. And then um, I used to play a lot of Mortal Kombat. Oh, right. Yeah, I think I remember you mentioning that. My family did not believe in the ERSB. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably before. I mean, Mortal Kombat was kind of the start of that. Yeah. but Maybe that, need, maybe that needs to be its own episode. How did the ESRB come to be? Yeah, we could talk about the other rating boards. and. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. So the Genesis, which it should be noted, is known as the Mega Drive, pretty much everywhere else outside of North America. So the Mega Drive came out in Japan in 1988. The Genesis was released in 1989, and then in 1990, it came to Europe and, and some other countries over in that region. Yeah. What I'm going to talk about today is called Sega Channel. Oh. And Sega Channel wasn't actually the first online venture for Sega, which is weird because I definitely thought it was. I mean, I just kind of had an inkling that this existed. But when I looked into it, I guess in 1990, Sega also launched something called the Sega MegaNet, which is fun to say. It sounds cool. Yeah, and it's a service that used the Mega Modem. Um, so you're using the... The Mega Drive. <laughs> yeah, you get on your Mega Drive, onto the Mega Net, using the Mega Modem, <laughs> and uh, your life is just complete. Just full Mega. Yeah. So you use the Modem, you plug it into this special cartridge, and it let you play um, 17 games that you basically like downloaded, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And, and you know, in 1990, it's like way different than pretty much anything else on the market. Yeah. It was supposed to come to America, and it was going to be called the Telegenesis, but it never happened. And then there was actually a phone-based system called the Mega Answer, A-N-S-E-R. Okay. Because I guess you answer the phone. That was also launched in 1990, and it made your Mega Drive into a banking terminal. Mm-hmm. And there was even a little mini printer you could plug in and print out, like, bank statements, <laughs> which is cool, but, like, the lamest thing, you know? Yeah. What are you printing from your video game console? Like, oh, it, <laughs> it shows I have 17 cents left in the bank. I think uh, Nintendo even tried this with the NES, actually, the stock market. Yeah, they, they had some kind of stock market thing. I don't think they had a, a printer or anything like that. No, I don't think they did. But you could, like, check your balance and check, like, stocks. And, yeah, it was weirdly intricate can you imagine like your bank account getting hacked by a genesis <laughs> <laughs> i think it'd be funnier if you walked into an actual bank in japan during that time and they were like let me just pull up your information <laughs> hold on i have to I have to beat green hill zone knowing the uh, banking system in japan that's probably they're probably still using it <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little a little uh, ancient yeah so both of those, the Sega Mega Net and the Mega Answer, were discontinued pretty quickly. They, they kind of flopped. There wasn't a lot of interest, unfortunately. And they were only released in Japan? Yeah, only in Japan. So the Sega Channel was an online game service that was developed by Sega for the Genesis. It came to a few places outside of America and Canada. Okay. But it was mainly in North America is where it showed up. It was the first online system that let players download demos. Oh, that's pretty cool. And so really, like, even though there were full games on there, 
it was more of like a marketing ploy to get kids to go out and buy games that weren't available. Yeah. It was launched in December of 1994, and it was kind of like a, a joint operation between Sega and these companies called TCI and Time Warner Cable, which basically were the, you know, the cable companies of the day. Yeah. Because you had to plug this thing like in with an actual like cable cord. They announced it in 1993 and did some like test uh, groups in select cities in the summer of 1993. Mm-hmm. But then it was all the way until the end of 1994 before it actually came out. So, do you want to guess how much it cost for this uh, service? It was a monthly service. How much do you think it cost per month back in 1994? Real quick uh, clarification. You'd have to connect it through your telephone? No. This is like cable. Cable. So, connect through your cable. Yeah. Um, so, probably like $40 a month. Whoa. Man. No, that's too much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. No, it was uh, $15 a month. And there was a $25 activation fee, okay. which included an adapter that they would bring and like, you know, get everything set up. Would it be uh, rented or did you own it? I think at that point you owned it. Okay. In 2020, that's roughly $25 a month or about $300 a year to have this service, which mm-hmm. is both like not terrible. Like it's pretty expensive, but it's not like outrageously expensive. Yeah. But back in the day, that's kind of one of the reasons why everyone cites that it failed was because... It was just a little too pricey. Yeah. But, you know, I look at something like Game Pass for the Xbox now, and I think, hmm, it's not, not that bad. And this uh, predates the N64 DD. Yeah. I mean, this was really cutting edge, I feel like. And, and a lot of people say that, that this was kind of the first stepping stone to get to Xbox Live, to get to pretty much any kind of online play or, like, online, you know, downloadability for home consoles. Mm-hmm. So basically, this, this thing, uh, when it came to America, the adapter that plugged into the Genesis slot, it kind of looked like the Sega 32X, if you know what that looks like. Uh, but if you don't, so basically, it looks like if you took a Genesis cartridge, and then you put another Genesis cartridge on the back of it, so it kind of like make a T shape. Yeah. So when you pushed it down into the Genesis itself, it looked like the cartridge was like sitting on top. Mm-hmm. And there was two different models that were manufactured, uh, one by Scientific Atlanta and the other by General Instrument. They both did the same thing. They basically just worked with different kinds of cable input. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like different services. Right. I found this like really awesome and terrible promotional video that was like six to ten minutes long of just people like, well, I can't believe it. Like I can play games like whenever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Get free games. Yeah. Oh, man. Demos. I can't believe it. Um, and they had the host of the show, Nick Arcade, okay, which once again is probably worth its own episode, yep. which was like a Nickelodeon show where kids came on and competed in video games. And he was like, man, this is the coolest, like, best deal I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> it's very 90s. There's like this whole set built and uh, the logo for Sega Channel was this kind of like blocky guy mm. um, who was holding a TV in one hand and he was holding a controller in another hand. Mm. And uh, there was like a giant statue of him in the back, like holding a real TV. And they're like, whoa, it's definitely something worth watching. I'll definitely put it up on the, the save files page for this episode. So basically, when you booted this up, uh, Sonic would run across the screen because, you know, this was kind of later in the Genesis life uh, cycle. Yeah. Sega was on the downward spiral here as far as uh, the 16-bit generation. 
So Sonic would run by and he would like jump up and hit this uh, cable that was in the wall and then like send an electric shock to the Genesis that was on screen. He'd be like, well, you're connected to the Sega channel. <laughs> Welcome to the Meganet. Welcome to the future. <laughs> Have fun going to Olive Garden. <laughs> there was 50 titles that you could play on the Sega channel, which is pretty good, honestly. Yeah, that's a pretty good number. Yeah, and, and every month they would rotate the ones that were available. It wasn't like 50 new games every time, but at the start of every month, it'd be like, whoa, like here's the new additions to the, yeah. you know, it's kind of like uh, the original Netflix, but with games here. And um, they would just be demos though? They wouldn't be full games? No, these are full games. These are full games, 50, wow. Yeah, 50 full games. And then there's also demos and some other stuff that you can do, so. Oh, wow. That's what I thought initially was that maybe it was just a demo of a game and then you were like, oh, like that's pretty cool. I guess I'll go buy it. But no, these were actual full games and then in 1997 um which was getting closer to when the whole service was going to go bust sega changed it so that there were 70 games at a time and it changed every two weeks oh wow it actually got better as it went but when you went in the uh the menu had all these different categories there was the like the sports arena the locker room mm. um there's one called fantasy land oh there's one called uh wings and wheels which was like racing and shoot 'em up and then there was one called Think Tank for puzzles. That's not all of them, mm. but you kind of get the idea. There's these like main categories. And uh, were the games like stored locally, or were they just continually downloaded? I'm I'm gonna get to that. Don't worry. Okay. Um, and then there was also something called Test Drives, which was for demos. Mm. Hey, listeners, we're putting this episode on pause for a moment to talk about supporting Memory Card via Patreon. If you're hearing this, you're probably not one of our patrons. How do we know? It's because all patrons enjoy ad-free episodes. Other perks include shout-outs, early access to episodes and bonus content, and even the chance to come on the show. If you enjoy Memory Card, we hope you consider pledging even a dollar or two, or three, or four, you know, just, just even a little bit helps. For more information, head to patreon.com slash memcard. And now, back to the show. Where'd I put that controller? Once you picked a game the system would start downloading it and the commercials and stuff would say like, Oh, like it takes like 30 seconds or less. But a lot of times people would have some trouble, you know, mm -hmm. bigger games like Sonic. I think it was like Sonic 3d blast or something like that had to be downloaded in like two chunks, which was kind of a pain Yeah. during the loading screen. Well, well it was loading the game. It would give you updates on news. It would tell you about mm -hmm. like special contests that were going on that you could participate in. It, it was pretty cool. Yeah. As a mm. kid, I had no idea this existed. Maybe I just didn't live in a big enough city where like yeah. there was a market for it, but I never saw anything about this. I actually didn't have cable as a kid, so there's no way I, I, I would have gotten this. Well, I mean, it's basically like as a child convincing your parents to like buy you HBO. You know what I mean? It's like a premium service mm -hmm. yeah. like, monthly. That, that's rough. Oh, you got unlimited games. Yeah, I mean, technically. I mean, you can never complain again. Yeah. 300 bucks for a year, it's not bad. It's not bad. You know, and, and that's in today's money. Yeah. And games are still as expensive back then. Yeah, if not more. I mean, yeah. geez, some Super Nintendo cartridges were like 70 bucks. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. So when the game uh, download was complete, you could play the game like normal, but there were a couple of issues that came along with that. The main one was that save states were immediately erased as soon as you turned off your Genesis. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge one. That was uh, kind of the biggest reason why they, they had RPGs and JRPGs on here. Yeah. But they got the least amount of playtime because 
you'd have to start over every single time, you know, or keep your Genesis running. Yeah, which would risk it overheating. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of a big pain. And then apparently the the noise and the sound in the games was not like super great just because it had to be downloaded and it was like compressed even more than it had to be. Mm. Those were the two uh, main issues. But the big the big one was that, yeah, it stored everything on there and then wiped itself as soon as you got offline for that day. Okay, that's kind of interesting. You would wonder if if they shouldn't have made like a special add-on or a memory card of some kind that would let them like hold on to save files. Yeah. I guess uh, it just wasn't in the cards, at least at the time. Yeah, it was probably too much data to store. Yeah. It had an internal storage of 32 megabytes of DRAM or DRAM. Yep. I'm not sure the technical specifications of what that means, but... So besides games, there was cheat codes that you could look at and they would give you to use. Um, there was like descriptions of games that were out. Oh. And like I said, there were contests that you could send in like drawings to like special addresses and stuff. And they would give you access to games early if you won or they would send you promotional T-shirts and things like that. That's pretty cool. And then there was also parental controls because, you know, like we were talking about Mortal Kombat. This was kind of after yeah. um, they had to bring in like their own ratings board and make sure that kids weren't getting all that violent <laughs> action. Mm -hmm. So you could set that up if you were a parent to make sure that your kids couldn't play all the horribly awful games. Yeah, that were going to, to ruin their little baby minds. <laughs> it's pretty easy for gaming services nowadays to just like send out this information. But like, how do you do it back in 1993? How do you get this information sent out? So I looked into it and I guess there was like a team at Sega in North America that would put together the content every month mm -hmm. and they'd just load it onto the CD-ROM and they'd send it to this special location, this satellite station that was in Denver, Colorado. I was going to say, it's probably in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on the top of a mountain. They would beam it like via these uh, Galaxy 7 satellites to different local uh, cable providers. Mm. and then they would send it out to the people who had uh, officially subscribed. So that's, I mean, that's wild. It's just something that I never really thought about, like how they would do it, especially back in the day. Yeah. The games involved, I mean, there was first-party games, there was third-party games, uh, Sonic and Knuckles was on there, Eternal Champion, Space Harrier, mm -hmm. and then there was also uh, the third-party games like Bubsy, Bubsy 2, everyone's favorite cat. Oh, Aladdin, the Aladdin version that a lot of people prefer because he has a sword. And better animation. Yeah. I guess there was also a couple of games that had reduced content because they couldn't quite fit everything onto the, you know, 32 megabytes that were on the adapter. So like in Street Fighter 2, there was like a few less fighters or stages or something like that. Makes sense. But there were 14 digital games that were exclusive to the Sega channel in North America. Some of them weren't exclusive in the way that they like couldn't be found anywhere else it was just that they were exclusive to the genesis via this like mm. you could find them on super nintendo but if you want to play on genesis you had to have a sega channel yeah so here we go we're going to play our favorite game which is fake or real okay so i'm going to give you some names of games you have to tell me if this is a real game that was available on the sega channel all right the first one is nightmare circus that's a real it sounds like a real game that's a real game yeah you got it I, I didn't look into what that was, but it is a real thing. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a 90s game. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is Crab Strike Beach Frenzy. Fake. Yeah, it's fake. Driftmaster. That's real. 
No, that's fake. <laughs> Mr. Nuts. I want to say fake, but I'm kind of thrown off now. Um, fake. <laughs> no, it's real. <laughs> oh, God. It's a game where you play as a squirrel. Okay. That... Apparently, it came to a lot of other systems, too. I think it was on Game Boy. Garfield, The Lost Levels. I thought there was a Garfield game. There's lots of Garfield games, Push. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's The Lost Levels. So, no. No, it's also real. <laughs> You're not doing so hot right now, man. No. Yeah, no, it's funny because, you know, there's the Mario, the Lost Levels that came on. That's what I kept on thinking about. I was like, are they just doing a parody of that? Like, I mean, it's not a parody, but basically it is like a normal Garfield game that came out for other systems, but they added more levels to it. So therefore, you know, they were lost. Yeah. All right. And the last one is Hurricanes. Real yep <laughs> i think it's like a superhero group and they're just called hurricanes which is i just thought it was funny that maybe you play just as a as a hurricane yeah that'd be kind of a cool game would cause mayhem <laughs> yeah there were a couple others uh you know like i said there's 14 golden axe 3 the the chess master mm-hmm. maui mallard in cold shadow do you know about that game no i do not so it's a game where you play as donald duck but donald duck is acting as like a cool kung fu star whose name is maui mallard okay yeah it that might <laughs> be something we need to go into uh, a little later but there's so there's three big games that came out for the sega channel that were kind of a big deal i would say like more than the others mm-hmm. the first one was pulse man which you might know do you know pulse man yeah i've heard of pulse man so pulse man was created by game freak back before they worked on pokemon yeah i i knew about pulse man because i had written about it in the past but i never looked into the story of pulse man and it's kind of messed up (laughs) are you are you aware of this like the game's like lore yeah no i i I just know that like he's like he has electric attacks and he's at some point he's going through the city and stuff like that yeah no i mean it's a pretty basic platformer except for he can kind of like zip places with electricity Mm -hmm. the background is basically that there was a, a computer engineer and he created this artificial intelligence character called Sea Life, who was a woman. Mm. Wink, wink, if you have any idea where this is going. And he fell in love with her. Oh. So he made himself digital and went into the computer to be with her romantically. And they had a baby. I mean, that's what anyone would do. <laughs> right. Everyone would do that. They had a baby who was half human and half computer. And that baby was Pulse Man. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah i know uh there's a couple connections to pokemon actually uh ken sugimori worked on this game volt tackle Mm -hmm. is the name of pulse man's like signature move and it's also the name of pikachu's final smash in smash brothers and the ss Anne in japan is called the saint Anne. is the cruise ship you got in in the original pokemon games and that's the name of the computer that pulse man was born inside oh the next one is Mega Man The Wily Wars, which was just like a compilation of the first three Mega Man games for the NES, but they were like revamped. And that came out in Japan and uh, PAL regions. Yeah. But uh, the only way you could play it on the Genesis was through Sega Channel. And the last one was called Alien Soldier, which I had never heard of until I looked into this. And it was kind of like a, a shoot 'em up, like run and gun game by Treasure. Oh, okay. Treasure's, yeah, they make really good games. Yeah, and back then, Treasure was known for like making those kind of games on the Genesis. In fact, they were best known for Gunstar Heroes. Yeah. This was kind of the end of the Genesis era, so they were like getting everything out of the console that they could. So the game like looks really good 
and they spent a lot of time on it at Treasure. Mm-hmm. You play as this character whose name is Epsilon Eagle, which is the coolest name ever. You're kind of like a cyborg bird man. Okay. And you're an alien soldier. You have to go uh, defeat other alien soldiers. Shoot them. Yeah. That was another big one that, that you could only play on Sega Channel. In 1994, it actually won Popular Science's Best of What's New contest for kids. And then in 1995, there was a Sports Illustrated survey for kids, and it found that they were like way more likely to purchase Sega Channel, or at least they wanted to purchase Sega Channel, over getting a Sega Saturn or a Nintendo 64 or PlayStation, which were coming up. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it sounds like such a, a fantastic service. Right, you know, it's like, do you want to buy one system and lose all your money and then you don't have anything left over? Or do you want to get this service that gets you, you know, 70 games a month? Yeah. Or every two weeks? At its height, the Sega Channel had 250,000 subscribers, which sounds pretty good. I mean, if you think of that kind of money coming in, you'd think that maybe Sega was turning a profit. Yeah. But it's kind of bad because Sega was anticipating having over a million subscribers by the end of their first year. Mm. So, I mean, they didn't even get there in its entire lifetime. And it was, it was available to over 20 million households, so mm-hmm. it was possible. In 1995, Sega announced that they were kind of discontinuing the whole Sega Genesis add-ons and, like, supporting the system. Yeah. That kind of made it a lot harder for the Sega channel to exist. But, you know, even though it kind of, like, flopped, you know, it didn't get to many people, it's still thought of very highly. It's kind of the, the first step towards online services that provided demos that let players connect with the company and get, like, updates and news and things like that. Mm-hmm. It led to an online service for the Sega Dreamcast, which would come out, you know, later at the very end of the 90s. And, and video game companies continued to pioneer the Internet. Yeah, except for Animal Crossing on the Switch. <laughs> except for Animal Crossing. Where like, like, oh. So like I kind of said at the beginning, the Super Nintendo at the time in Japan had the Satellaview, which was a satellite system that kind of had the same setup. Yeah. But a lot of people think that Sega Channel was, you know, the ideal way to download and play games uh, mm-hmm. back in the, in the mid to early 90s. Yeah. Sega kind of led the way. They just kind of did it at an inopportune time and possibly for a little too much money because that was their biggest downfall. People were kind of like, wow, Sega Channel would have been like a huge deal if it had launched alongside the Genesis. Yeah, and I think um, also, like, a lot of people weren't really thinking about online at that time. Right. Like, like everyone had computers, but, like, they weren't really thinking about, you know, game consoles connecting to the internet or, or even, like, their TV connecting to the internet. Like, that was, like, an idea that was, like, very far off. And once again, I mean, it's something that if you brought it up to the normal, you know, video game fan of today, they probably would have no idea it existed. But the legacy of Sega Channel lives on. May you rest in peace. In this podcast. Rest in podcast. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by the talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J A M A T A R, on Spotify or visiting jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, 
we can be found at SuperBentendo and PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, and Harrison. All of our Patreon information can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoy the show. We'll see you soon.